Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Okay, hey, we're going to get to the message here in just a minute. I just want to just float one thing out here. I have a real sense of expectation that the Lord would speak to some of you during this service. Um, and I think there's, there's a, a fundamental shift of how we see ourselves um, and how the Lord sees us, of ultimate reality even, that needs to happen for a for maybe a whole bunch of folks. Um, I can't do that. I mean, logically, the words are there, but the Holy Spirit has to do that. And so I just want you right now, if, if you're just ready to kind of go through the motions for an, another lecture from Aaron, um, would you maybe shift gears and just soften your heart and expect, whatever that means, I don't even know what I mean by this, but expect the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to move in this room. I think he's going to do, he's going to heal some hearts and souls. Um, so just lean in to what the Spirit might have to say to you today. We are wrapping up our Liberate series. We have been working through Galatians 3 and 4, which we've actually already done, but you may remember at the end of a few verses there at the end of Galatians 3, we said these four verses are some of the most significant words ever penned in all of human history. Let's come back and spend a few extra minutes with those. That's what we're doing today. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. I'll read them for you now. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Okay, so uh, this is kind of a text about gender. This is a kind of a text about race and ethnicity. This is kind of about slavery and oppression, it's kind of about economic injustice, etc. It's not primarily actually about any of those things. It's not not about any of those things. But primarily, this is about social status. So, in the Greco-Roman world, the ancient Greco-Roman world, which is the, that's the context into which this letter was written, uh, there's a really complicated uh, and relatively fixed social hierarchy. But people would sometimes move up or down in status within the social hierarchy of, of the ancient Greco-Roman world. And so there's a complicated system of status. People you know, are slotted in here, and you're here, and you're here, and you're down there for whatever reason, fair or unfair. Um, and then at the very top of that very complicated um, superstructure, there was Caesar. And Caesar was the most powerful person in the world. And in the mind of a first century Gentile, only the gods had more status than Caesar. And then if you remember this from um, learning perhaps in school about um, ancient mythology, there was this whole other hierarchy within the gods. And they had their own sort of structure of who had more and less status. And it was a big complicated soap opera, if you recall. So that's the mindset. And then Christianity comes along. 
and tells a very different story. Very different story. Um, it does not deny that there are complicated and broken systems of societal status and hierarchy in our world. It does not deny that there are also spiritual beings with various levels of power as well. The Bible talks about angels, demons, principalities, powers, rulers of this dark world. I don't know what any of those things are, but the Bible highlights that there's, there's also a spiritual hierarchy. It doesn't deny those realities. But there is, on top of that, very important, a central, unconditional claim that above all of that, and above, frankly, everything that has ever been, there is one true God, Yahweh. And there is none like him. He is entirely different. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And then here's the deal. Here's sort of the earth-shattering message of Christianity. All who put their faith in him, the one true God who sits above it all, are adopted into that family, the family of the one true God, the royal family of the one true God. And they become children of Yahweh. And that status, that status of being a child of the one true God then supersedes every other category. Amen? Okay. Now listen, we're going to talk about heavy topics and I've asked you to listen like listen to the Holy Spirit as long as we go and and so as a result you guys are going to be kind of quiet and I get it. But you guys need to say some amens in this message. I'm going to say good things, and you're not going to get in trouble for saying them, for saying amen. It's like, oh, yeah, I can amen that, and I'm not going to get canceled or anything. So I got some good stuff for you to amen to. So, look, I just said that ultimately our status before God is what matters more than anything else. I'm going to say variations of that about 20 times. You should amen every time. Deal? Okay. I want to be clear, let me do a little, house, little housekeeping here theologically before I get into this. Um, our destiny as children of God is not to become gods, okay? Just full stop, there's a clear line there. We believe in one God, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, distinct yet three in one. We are none of the above, and we will never be any of them. Let's get that straight, and let's be really clear on that. We'll hold that line. But... Christ is in us, that's scripture, and, and we're in him, and the Holy Spirit is in us, and we're in the Holy Spirit as well, and the whole thing, the Bible says, is sealed by the Holy Spirit, and the whole thing is held, scripture says, by the Father. That's an incredible amount of status. We do not, again, clear line, we do not become him. The Bible says we will be made like him. We're already made in his image. We share in his glory. We will one day reign alongside of him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. And we will do so as the children of the most high God. And that fact alone trumps every other human category. <laughs> you see? You're going to have to pay attention. So I want to talk about what I just said for a second. What I just explained to you, I want to be clear, that is like down the line historic Christian orthodoxy. What I just said to you does not put me out on a limb at all. I am just, this is right down the middle, main in the plain. I'm not in a gray area at all. But what I just talked about as our status as God's children, 
What that means is people who share in his glory, who will be made like him, who will reign alongside of him. What I, I just said is that we are, as God's children, that we carry more status in the entire cosmos than any other being other than God himself. That's what I just said. And again, that is down-the-line historic Christian teaching, but we don't talk about that very much. And we don't think about it very much. And the other thing is, we don't get very excited about it either. That's interesting. Because best I can tell, in my 42 years roaming this planet, seems to me people are hysterically obsessed with status, with power, with hierarchy. I mean, like foaming at the mouth crazy people everywhere I look, status, power, hierarchy. And I just told you, and maybe you haven't ever framed it up quite this way before, even if you've been in church for decades, that you carry higher status than any created being in the universe other than God himself. There wasn't a lot of hooping and hollering. It wasn't this great wash of relief. No one was overwhelmingly tempted to go out and party too hard because I told you that that was your status. Why is that? If I told you you, you moved three, long, three rungs on the status ladder at work, you'd probably go celebrate. Why is that? I think, at least in part, it's because the whole thing just sounds really far-fetched. Like, really like inaccessible, like, okay, I guess I do in good and mostly not good ways want status and recognition in this world, okay, but I don't even think, like, I don't have any, it's not the goal for the next life, that's not something I'm shooting for, you're talking about me having more status and more glory than any other being other than God himself, and I'm just going like, I don't know, man, I just don't want to go to hell. That's more how we think. I just don't want to screw everything up. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to be a jerk. I want to be less depressed tomorrow than I am today. I want to be less bound by sin next week than I am this week, you know? And so this talk of these lofty, grandiose ideas, it's hard to comprehend or even imagine. And I get that. So, so be it. And it's all still true. Um, but God, God has revealed this to us for a reason. He didn't have to tell us this. He did. He wants us to know it. And you, here's my challenge. You need to at least begin to get your head around this. You got to at least begin. You got to make real progress. And here's why. The world desperately needs you to. And, and at the end, we'll get to why that is. But right now, when we talk about all this status and glory that we have as children of God, it almost feels wrong. Like, why did I several times this week stop myself from feeling bad because I was thinking about this? Like, oh, that's too much. That doesn't feel right. I'm just sort of this busted dude. Like, that doesn't feel right. So, listen, are we allowed to say that? Yes, we are. It's okay. It's down the line historic Christian orthodoxy. It's okay. And listen, you need to focus on it. You might go, I don't need to focus on it. No, you actually, you actually do. You need to know who you are as a child of God. And the world desperately needs you to get your head around that. We'll explain it why. One more time, a child of God has higher status in every realm of existence than absolutely everything but God himself. 
Pretty good. So, if that's the case, if, you, if you're starting to get your head around that, let's say you even buy it, um, with that in mind, that should, it really should start to change your perspective on things. It changed your perspective on this. $20 bill I had to get out of my wife's purse because I don't have cash ever. Uh, money. If, if what I just said about our status ultimately for all of eternity is even 1% true, then what does this even mean? Who cares? So what if I have more or less of it than you do? Who cares? This is dirty paper if what I just said is true about our status as children of God. And then if what I just said is true, the fact that men throughout history and context and cultures have traditionally had more status and more power than women, that should strike you as just bonkers ridiculous. We're so many layers removed in, in our little dumb sliver of reality here compared to the glory that awaits us. The fact that we would be trying to push one another down in this context when we are actually the children of the Most High, this is just dumb. It doesn't make any sense. And, are you clear, our racial and ethnic backgrounds, our stories that brought us here, they matter, they really matter, they all caps matter. It's nowhere near as important as our status before God as the children of God. All right, so I'm going to read you a quote, C.S. Lewis, because he always says it better than I ever could. It's kind of long. It's also really, really good. So, come on. It is hardly possible for one to think too often or too deeply about the glory of his neighbor. Stay with me. Stay with C.S. Lewis. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing. This is mind-blowing. Stay with us. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. I'm going to read these verses again from Galatians 3. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. I want to say uh, just a few things about uh, some of these words. If we could put up verse 26. Again, some people are bothered that it says here, uh, we're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And go, why does it say sons and daughters of God? 
Like we're, this is literally the most inclusive text in the entire Bible, and it still excludes women. <laughs> like, what's that about? Okay, if you get that, you respond that way, I totally get it. But actually, if that's the thing, you might be missing what, what Paul's actually doing here. What Paul's trying to do as he writes to first century Gentiles is to blow their minds with the reality that children of God have higher status than everything but God himself. That's what he's saying. The highest possible status you can imagine belongs to all of God's children regardless of, you know, slavery, financial situation, gender, race, etc. That's the point that he's making. In the mind of a first century Jew, they have this idea of the pantheon of gods. Or par- pardon me, a first century Gentile. But he goes, above all of that, we have the one true God, Yahweh. So the greatest status, other than that of Yahweh, in the mind of a first century Gentile, would be a son of that God. That's what he's saying. He's just, he's just speaking to them in the midst of their kind of, well, kind of grossly patriarchal society. And he's going, no, actually, what you consider in your mind to be the highest, greatest status, that belongs to every child of God. I hope you can see that. And then he goes through these pairings. I'm going to say a little bit about each of these three pairings. Uh, first, he says there's no Jew or Greek. You're going to make similar points here for each of these. He is not actually saying there's no such thing as ethnic or racial distinctions or that those things don't matter. Um, the Bible paints a very vivid picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And every time we see that picture, we see that it is a beautifully multi-ethnic, multicultural worship gathering every time. Every tribe, tongue, and nation again and again. Point being, racial diversity is an essential part of God's peaceful kingdom reign. It's not going anywhere. That is an eternal reality. So clearly he's not trying to wipe that out now and say, your racial distinctions don't matter. Your, eth- your ethnic background doesn't matter. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, and he's not saying this either. He's not saying we should all be colorblind. He's not saying that either. He goes, no, no, no. What he's saying is those racial differences aren't ultimate. Our status as God's children is ultimate. I helped you a little bit. <clears throat> Second pairing, he says there's no slave or free. Again, he's not denying economic inequality. He's not de- denying oppressive and evil power structures that would give rise to something as gross as slavery in the first place. He's not saying that we should look past slavery or any form of it because it doesn't really matter. He's not saying we should look past uh, oppression when we encounter it. He's not saying that. What he's saying is he's acknowledging jashed, jacked up social structures and he's saying, and again, they don't define us. So he's saying there's just, they're bigger things as much as this matters. Some people are, are um, bothered here that Paul acknowledges the existence of slavery here without directly condemning it. I agree. I, I just wish he would. I'm like, man, one more sentence. That would have been awesome. Um, he does that other places, though. That's not what he's doing here. Just again, Paul is trying to help first century Gentiles get their head around this ridiculous idea of how high the status is held by all children of God. That's what he's doing. He isn't trying to overturn oppression, racism, the patriarchy, economic injustice, all in one verse. Okay. Instead, he's making it clear that any form of oppression based on any of those categories, is completely abhorrent. Okay. The only status that matters, the ultimate status above it all, children of God. Okay. Third pairing. 
It says no male or female. Same thing here, same thing. Paul is not, and some people have, have said this, Paul is not eliminating the distinction between male and female. There's no attempt to do that. That wouldn't even make sense. Jesus, or God, when he created the earth, male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. So we have male and female created equally in God's image. And then he looks on it and says, that's good. That's good. And it's clear that that's going to carry into eternity as well. So why? Why would that be the case? So it's, that's not the case. Um, uh, destroying gender here is not the goal. Eliminating any oppression on the basis of gender is the goal. Because again, our ultimate status is that we are children of God. That doesn't eliminate gender, but it does transcend it. It does transcend it. And we'll pause here for just a couple minutes because I know that the role of women in Christian leadership is a really hotly debated topic. And uh, I can't get this close to it and not actually address it for a minute. So just, just a minute here. There are longer versions of this talk, don't worry. But <clears throat> um, this is an egalitarian church. That's a, that's a big fancy theological word that means that we support and encourage women in every level of Christian leadership, period. Okay. That was another amen you missed. There we go. All right. <clears throat> Some of you are like, I don't know. Wait for it. Okay. This text that we're talking about, is not the whole conversation, okay? If, if, we're, if, it, if this was the whole conversation, there'd be nothing to debate about, okay? But this, this text looms large over this conversation. It must, okay? Um, a woman's status as child of God makes her worthy of any, call, any calling, any mission, regardless of what societal structures are in place in our fallen world that may try to push down or oppress in any way. If this, again, if this is the status we are given as God's children, why in the world would we say, okay, a woman has been given this status as a child of God and then go, there's anything in the realm of human existence that's not available to her. That's just not logical. Okay. But I know that there are a few places in the New Testament that actually seem to teach something different than that. I want you to know that we do not dismiss those verses. Okay. We have a high view of Scripture. We, we can't pull out our, 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 black, our black marker and get to highlighting. You know what I'm saying? We can't cut out the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. We don't do that. We wrestle and contend with every word of Scripture. Okay? And so um, I want to be very clear about this. Um, we have the highest possible view of Scripture, and that is why we support women in every level of leadership. So let me say what I mean by that. Because again, there's some text here like, well, what about, what about, for example, here's when you hear the most, and rightfully so, um, what about 1 Timothy 2? Um, where, where Paul writes that he does not allow women to teach or to exercise authority over a man. It's like, whoa, okay, that feels pretty, that feels pretty intense. Let me just say a couple things about, about that text. Um, the translation and the interpretation of 1 Timothy 2 might be the most difficult, convoluted challenge for a theologian or interpreter of Scripture anywhere in the whole Bible. It is really dense and difficult. And the whole discussion hinges on one of the most rare words anywhere in the Greek language, a word that doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible, and they can only find it five other places in the whole corpus of Greek literature. And it all hinges on that word and what that word means. Like, it's really, really challenging. Like, it's, a, it's really challenging. It's not at all 
transparent is what I'm saying. And, and I know that some people will read that. It's like, well, I read it right here in my English Bible, and it seems pretty darn clear. And they go, and look, if somebody says, well, the Bible clearly says that women cannot, okay, and so on. Um, if they say that, here, just bottom line, um, that person is either less than informed or they're being less than honest. It's not clear. It's a really, really difficult text, okay? And give that person the benefit of the, of the doubt. Assume the best, if that's the reality. But one of those two things that is at play, okay? They're, they're either less than informed or they're being less than honest. I've actually heard several interpretations of that particular text that honor the text, that in ways that other interpretations don't recognize the unique cultural reality that Timothy was facing in that moment, and then they demonstrate that that text actually should be read differently than what we might read at first glance. And I want to be clear, there are a number of those arguments out there. Um, some of those arguments I find to be really, really convincing. I, I, I really do. But I want to be clear, very clear. I still do not know with just blinding certainty exactly what the Apostle Paul meant in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But I do know this. I know for sure that he didn't mean that women could not lead or teach. And the reason for that is simple. It's because God empowers women to lead and teach throughout the Bible. And it becomes more and more common as we go along. And the scripture makes it clear that they're doing so by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus comes along and he blows the lid off the whole thing. Now, I, again, again, I cannot explain with absolute certainty what Paul meant in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But I can see clearly what God did. And he empowered women to lead by his presence, by his Holy Spirit, to teach, to prophesy, which is the greatest of the gifts, by the way. If the greatest of the gifts is made available dozens of times in Scripture to women, then why would any other gift then be made unavailable? Beyond that, Jesus affirmed women as his, as, as his apprentices, sitting at his feet, just as the men did, training to do the same work as their rabbi. He twice honored women uh, who anointed him. Uh, and he said they were preparing him for burial. That was Jesus' declaration. That was exclusively, by the way, the work of a priest. And when the gospel of Jesus' resurrection needed to be preached, that message was first entrusted to women, the apostles, to the apostles. I haven't said anything yet about Deborah, who led in every capacity you can imagine, spiritually, politically, militarily, etc., Mary, the mother of Christ, the ways in which she taught and led. Junia, who Paul calls an apostle. Priscilla, who taught and corrected Apollos and almost certainly led a really significant church in her home. Deaconesses. I could just go on and on. The point is this. Here's the point. If we're going to have the highest possible view of Scripture, hear me, this important hermeneutic, which is how you understand and study the Bible, we cannot reject that which is clear in favor of that which is unclear. I don't know exactly. I mean, I think I, I think I got it, but I don't know. I don't know exactly what Paul meant in 1 Timothy 2. But I know for sure what God has done. And he has elevated, empowered, and affirmed women as leaders in the church, period. And why wouldn't he? Their defining status isn't their gender. Yeah. Their defining status is that they are the children of the Most High God. Good. Okay. 
I wasn't looking for that. All right, enough of that. Okay, I had, we had to go there for a minute. But it's really not the big point for today. Here's the point for the day. Here's the big idea. Here's what we got to get. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now. Lord, help us to hear and receive. The big idea is that we are children of the Most High God. That's what defines us. That's our status. That's our glory. That's our identity. And don't miss this last point because it's so essential. Any glory, any status, any identity given to us by the way and work of Jesus must then in turn be expressed through us in a way that is consistent with the way and work of Jesus. In other words, we got to do with our status what Jesus did with his. And what did he do? He served. He lowered himself so that he might lift up others. This is the way of Jesus. That's what it means to be a child of God, to use your status to serve and elevate others. Jesus taught this over and over again, all different ways, to his, to his disciples, his apprentices, again and again. You must be last of all, servant of all. You want to be great? Then be the least. Be humble. Be last of all, servant of all. Lower yourself. Use your status to lift others up. He pointed out, he said, the examples you have seen is people lording their authority over people. And you remember what Jesus said? He looked his disciples in the eye and said, don't let that be true of you. That's not how you do it. The last will be first and the first will be last. If we've got all this status, then we've got to ask ourselves, what did Jesus do with his? The Bible actually tells us, Philippians chapter 2, 6 to 11. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's what he did with his status. Now look what the Father in heaven did as a direct result. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, what did Jesus do with his status? He lowered himself. He made himself last of all and servant of all. Sacrificial love, divine humility. That's what he did. And listen, that's how he saved everything and everyone. This is how he won. Do you understand? Christ won the victory not by showing up in a blaze of glory and flexing in the sky and all our faces melted off. And we said, well, he's got to be the king of glory. Let's kneel to him. That's not what he did. He came in a manger. And he suffered and he died. He went as low as he possibly could, lower than any one of us. How do you lift people up except but to go below them and push them up? Christ went, he humbled himself as low as he could go so that he could lift up all of humanity. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. This is absolutely fundamental to what it means to be a child of God. We have all this status we have to do with our status what Christ did with his. Okay. Uh, David and Matt, if you can come on up. I know there's a tendency when 
people don't talk about this a lot. Again, all the status that we have, second only to God himself. And you got to be careful with all that child of God, brother and sister of Christ talk, second only to the most high talk, because we're Christians and Christians have to be humble, right? Guys, if you get a hold of your status before God, you'll be humbled like never. What's more humbling than knowing that this has been given to us? And maybe that's, maybe that's why we don't talk about our status as much. That's, maybe it's why you almost feel bad believing it, that it's true. And so we go, oh, I'm not, I don't think I even should. Listen, you must. You must get hold of who you are as a child of God and what that status means because we need you to. The world needs you to. People around you need you to know who you are. Let me explain why. Just think about it, guys. Essentially, all the horrible, despicable, unthinkable atrocities of this world, where do they come from? Where do they come from? What fuels it? What's underneath it? You know what it all? Fear, insecurity, scarcity. I'm afraid I'm not going to win, so I'm going to oppress other people. I'm afraid I won't end up on top, so I'm going to shove other people down. That's the worst of all of human history. It's that again and again and again and again in every context, in every religion, in every society. I'm afraid that I won't end up on top. And in order to make sure that happens, I have to shove other people down. But if you know who you are, that impulse is gone. It's gone. If you know you're a child of God, what do you need to push anybody down for? What motivation is even left but to lift others up? Lewis said, you know, gosh, if, if you knew the glory of the people around you, you know, you'd be tempted to worship. But if you knew your own, if you knew your own, who you are as a child of God, you, you would never again be tempted to push others down. To try to win at the expense of someone else. Why? Or to, to take, to steal. To live your life by way of comparison. Am I winning? Am I on top? I got to push them down. That's the best way for me. All of that goes away if you just know who you are. And you won't be marked by scarcity or fear or insufficiency or worthlessness. And that's where all the worst stuff comes from. All the worst things boil down to the oppression of people. And the reason we oppress people because we do not know who we are. But again, what did Jesus do with his status? At the very top, he became last of all, servant of all, went to the very bottom to lift others up. That's what you have to do. That's joining God in the renewal of all things. That's the whole point. But you have to embrace your status to do it. Otherwise, you're just going to be too afraid. You're just going to be too afraid. You have to embrace your status for you. You have to do it for the sake of everyone around you.